Hey, Corey here, and this is Everything is Marketing. Other marketing podcasts might give you the highlight reel or focus on a particular industry, strategy, or tactic, but this podcast explores marketing from every angle and allows you to get inside the head of the guest to really understand who they are and how they think. I sound like a broken record at this point, but my number one piece of advice to everyone I talk to is to invest in your email list. You own it, you control it, and it's where the money is made. Sparkloop is a new tool that helps you grow your email list by incentivizing your subscribers to share with others. Every business should have a newsletter, and every newsletter should have a referral program. Sparkloop is great because it literally takes five minutes to get set up, and then it's basically set and forget to watch your email list grow quicker. Check them out at sparkloop.app EIM. You can find the link in the show notes and get started today. On the show today is Eric Bandholtz, the founder and CEO of Beardbrand, which produces beard, hair, and skin products for men. And he also hosts the Practical E-Commerce podcast. I wanted to bring Eric on because several years ago, I wanted to start a line of beard bombs and oils, and then I discovered Beardbrand and knew that they had just nailed it. So I left that to them and they've established an amazing brand. Eric and Beardbrand also really embody the premise of the show that everything is marketing since they started a barbershop. Their 1.6 million subscribers on YouTube know them for their education and documentary style videos. And they prioritize customer service so much that they even offer free consultations over text. So you'll hear about how they develop products, Eric's experience on Shark Tank, and building a brand through content marketing. All right. Eric, to start out, did you ever think that you'd be selling men's grooming supplies for a living? Uh, no, no, I, I, uh, never had that, that vision. always knew I would be an entrepreneur, but, mm. uh, and I'm a, I'm your typical ideas guy. So, uh, always had a ton of ideas. Interesting. What, what was, what were some of the ideas you had early on, um, or some of the, oh the God, things you dude, pursued man. before beer brand? <laughs> well, there's, there's ideas and then there's uh, things I actually did. Yeah. So, I mean, I've had all sorts of ideas from like a, a beer bottle that was essentially like shaped upside down to um, a cop helmet that had like flashing lights on it or uh, the police cops or uh, the motor cops, whatever they're called. Yeah. Um, those those went nowhere. And then in terms of like failed business ideas, I had this uh, vinyl wall graphic business called Wacomo where you just put like little trees and birds and stuff like that up. Hmm. I had... Uh, I was an executive recruiter for a period of time, uh, not a successful one. Um, and then uh, I had this uh, website with a buddy, Joshua Buss, called Bingle, and it would show you Google's results on the left and Bing's results on the right. And you're, it was right when Bing came out, you're able to compare uh, the results. And we had a ton of traffic from uh, Redmond, which is where uh, Microsoft is from. Mm -hmm. So uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. A bunch of people at Microsoft were using the software to, to kind of compare. I love that. Bingle. That's a genius name. Uh, was it Bingle.com? No, yeah. no. Nah, nah, I think Bingle.com was like, you know, multi-thousand. We got Bingle that, that new in you. Okay. The new way to search was kind of like our tagline. I love it. Genius. Well, I want to rewind a bit on the beard brand story. Um, what did you first start selling? And then how did that sort of uh, evolve and progress over time? Yeah, I mean, Beard Brand did first start selling with men's grooming products. So Beard Oil and Mustache Wax were our first two products on our store. We started off hmm. by selling another person's products. So it wasn't something that we manufactured in-house. And um, yeah, we were able to kind of like get the proof of concept uh, MVP. You know, like we're big fans of MVPs and 
you know, testing in the marketplace and, um, you know, letting customers dictate what kind of thing they want. So we had a bunch of ideas and we would test them. And then based on, you know, how things would move or the, how easy it was, we would kind of go in that direction. We found that really what our customers were looking for was grooming products. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So you basically wholesaled or, or drop shipped someone else's products. And then based on what was interesting, then you went out and produced your own. Is that right? Yeah, we, um, so we launched, uh, the website January 28th, 2013, uh, our e-commerce website before that, uh, we had a YouTube channel and we had a blog. And, uh, so I reached out to this guy who had, I, I already had a relationship with, he had given me some products and I asked him if we could resell his products and he was game. Uh, so we bought the products or committed to the products. I think, uh, it was like a hundred dollars worth of, of products from him that we started with. And, um, then we uh, just put it up on the website and, uh, and and launched, and that was so that was January, and then we ended up you know launching our own products. I think it was like May or June of that first year that mm. we were able to kind of develop our own products and get it out the door, and uh, you know from there we we kind of grew up. But really, those first, I think that first year it was mostly grooming products, but we had tests with other products like t-shirts and, um, we had like accessories like wallets and bracelets and suspenders even, uh, just cause with beard brain, I always visualized it as more of uh, this lifestyle brand. And to me, like lifestyle meant like the way you looked, um, <laughs> beyond your grooming routine. Like, so it was, it was going to be like a Lululemon is for, uh, yoga or it was like Vans is for skaters. Like I want a beard brand to be that for, for guys with beards or for urban beardsmen. Hmm. And, uh, you know, all those other, like the turns out t-shirts are pretty hard to do and I'm not a great t-shirt designer and, uh, you know, like accessories and stuff. They're, they're just like not the market we should be in. Yeah. That's interesting. What, what does the product development process look like, uh, for you? I mean, I'm curious back then as well as now and sort of over the years, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing going from zero to a physical thing that you can hold in your hands, right? Especially something that you built from scratch. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, in the early days when you have like no risk, no customers, you can kind of like, you know, do it in your kitchen, uh, test the, the waters. Um, but now that we're a little more established, the product development process is a little more involved, a lot more testing involved, a lot more, you know, um, compliance and less like on the fly. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it just kind of depends, but it all starts with like, I'll, I'll get some kind of idea. Uh, and, and maybe it's not just me, but someone else in the, the team will get an idea and then we'll just figure out how we can do it. We have this mentality that we're not going to develop something unless it's remarkable, uh, unless the marketplace isn't currently doing it, hmm. or we feel like we can do it better than the, the options on the marketplace. We don't want to just, you know, copy whatever someone else is doing, do the same thing and different packaging or a lower price or whatever. So, uh, you know, I, I, if you give me enough time, I can talk about all of our, our products and how they're innovative, or at least how they're innovative when they, they were developed in the marketplace. Um, obviously, a lot of people have have kind of, copied us over the years and, mm -hmm. and done what we've done. So some of those innovations have been, you know, um, diluted over time, but, uh, yeah, I think we've got some, some pretty remarkable stuff. So we've got a small team here in house, um, 
that I'll kind of like get the idea and then I'll hand it off to them and, and they're good at executing. So they'll go through the execution of all the things like talking with our manufacturers and our design team for packaging and uh, just kind of line up all the things and get the testing in house and get it to the product testers and get the feedback and make the iterations, all that stuff. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's going to be my, my next question actually was if you go walk me through sort of the product line and um, you know, the roles that each product plays and the way that you developed it um, uh, sort of placed it within the inventory and then started to market it as well. Yeah. So beard brand uh, started off primarily with, with products for your beard. And uh, over the years, we, we always had this vision to, to grow beyond the beard and be an entire men's grooming company. Uh, so what that means is pretty much from head to toe, we're going to be able to, to have products for your grooming routine. We, uh, we had that vision for a long time, but we're a bootstrap company. So product development uh, will cost, you know, for us, like five figures investment. Uh, not including like all of our, our man hour times and, and just and just like buying the the initial PO and stuff like that. So we, um, as a bootstrap company, it's, it's just like how you can get the capital to invest in those new products. We made the decision many, many years ago um, when we thought about our, our product offering, you can think about it like you can be wide uh, or you can, can be deep. So we could have, you know, we could be like the beard oil company and we have, you know, beard oil for curly beards and beard oil for straight beards and beard oil for this and beard oil for that. So that's kind of like going wide, right? Or you could be deep and you just, you just have one beard oil and then you have one shampoo, one conditioner, one deodorant, one skincare, one this, one that, and, and then you don't really have options within that. So... We, we, we kind of uh, did a, a hybrid and we're kind of like wide and deep. So we have um, six different fragrances um, on our store, beardbrand.com. And then we have um, additional fragrances in, in Target as well, three different fragrances. So we determined that pretty much our value prop is going to be this option where you can have six different fragrances and get the same products from head to toe. So no other company is is really doing that. We call it scent confusion or ending scent confusion. Mm. Um, so it's pretty much like the dumbest thing you could do. Um, and we figured no one's going to be as dumb as us. <laughs> and that was, that was kind of our, our product strategy. So um, we had this vision for a long time. And, and the challenge is like, until you actually have that depth of your product offering, then you're not going to be able to to really like focus on that that value prop, which is ending scent confusion. So it was just this year that we started to to really hit hard on ending scent confusion and and that option for our audience and our customers to be able to get the same fragrance from head to toe, and not just get the same fragrance from head to toe, but to have the choice between two different lines and six different fragrances to be able to do it is uh, something, in my opinion, uh, pretty remarkable enough itself yeah where where did that come from because uh it's something as you say it i'm like wow that makes complete sense like why would i use a different scent for my my beard for my hair for my arms for my you know whatever cologne i'm using like where where did that initial thought come from that you that set the vision for the value property i wanted to end up with you know we we have quarterly strategy sessions uh my business partners and i so we we step away from the business 
and allows us to get out of the day to day and, and kind of have like a, um, a bigger vision for what we're trying to do and how we want to implement it, how we want to execute on it. And, um, you know, we just kind of talk to talk about it and come to agreement. There's a lot of things that we've done at beard brand where we, we kind of know we're, we're handcuffing ourselves to a certain degree. Like, I, I guess that's the thing with business is like every decision you make is, is going to have, um, a consequence to it. So the consequence of our decision is we can't be super, like we can't have 30 different products. You know, it's hard for us to have like a shampoo for curly hair and a shampoo for straight hair and shampoo for dry hair, shampoo for, um, um, wavy hair or whatever, and, and do that in all different fragrances. Like it's just flat out impossible. So, hmm. so the way we have to creatively solve this problem is develop and, and formulate products that are super versatile that you can use in so many different ways. Uh, so it makes it really, really hard for us to, to formulate products because we require so much of our products. For instance, um, our utility bar is, is a perfect example. Uh, this bar of soap, uh, most people would just have a bar of soap. You use it to, to wash your body. Whereas we're like, our soap has to do more. It has to be innovative. There's tons of soap on the marketplace. So we, we formulated this thing literally it took us like three years to get the right formulation, but you can use it as a head shampoo. You can use it as a beard wash. Of course you can use it as a body wash. You can use it as a face soap is uh, gentle enough to, to use as like a facial cleanser you can use it to shave we've formulated it where it has like this glide lather so you can use it to shave your head you can use it as you're like clean like our, my wife will use it she'll shave her legs and use a soap all in one so it's just like this bang 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 hmm. perfect for traveling all you need is utility bar to take with you and it just like knocks out all these different different uses and uh, like Greg Rosinski's uh, one of our, our influencers on the YouTube channel. He's got this long, beautiful, flowing hair. And we have, in my opinion, like some of the greatest like shampoo and conditioner products on the marketplace. But he's like, I just use a utility bar. It's just like <laughs> it does what I needed to do. And I'm kind of the same way. It's like I, I just love the utility bar. I love the simplicity of it. So, um, you know, really requiring us to develop formulations that – not just like do those things, but do them really well. Um, like this bar could be a shampoo bar of itself. It could be a shave soap by itself. It could be just a bar soap by itself. Uh, mm. But we're, we've been able to get it to do all both, do all, yeah. all those. Yeah, sort of like the Swiss army knife of, uh, of soaps. And um, I love that you you think about the differentiation and the value prop even before you start developing it. Like that is a part of the product development process, but you mentioned that it took three years to sort of get the formula right for it. Um, what were some of the, the challenges or uh, things that you had to overcome in order to, I don't know, do that? Like three years is a long time for one product to be de developed. Yeah, I mean, specifically with soap, you can manufacture it a couple different ways. Uh, the traditional way, like the, the, the cold process saponification, which is gonna be where most of your natural soaps kind of fall in, uh, in our space, uh, a big competitor is Dr. Squatch. Uh, they, they make a natural soap and they've done really well, uh, bringing awareness to their brand and their product. So, uh, we produce our soap the same way that they do it. Another way of doing it is essentially you get these, uh, these soap pellets and then you mix in, uh, various ingredients to get it to, uh, the process that you want. And that's going to be like a, a Kiehl's bar, uh, kind of in our space is going to be the way that that's produced. So we looked at both 
processes um, to see how they would perform. And uh, they, they both have like advantages and disadvantages. A, uh, a cold process saponification process um, will be, you can make smaller batches, you know, um, but there, there may be like a little bit of inconsistency in the batches because uh, it's smaller batches. And then you need like this curing time of like a, generally like at least four weeks. Uh, the, the longer it cures, the better the bar gets. Um, so there's a little bit slower manufacturing process involved with that. And then uh, you get like uh, the natural glycerins that come out through the saponification process. Whereas with the other one is you just have these pellets, you mix everything together, you can produce them. Um, but I found that like the bar can get crumbly. You have like these artificial colors. Um, and you know, like, I, I don't know, like, I guess we could have probably like gone back and back and forth with the, the mass produced, uh, bar soap, but, uh, we found that we were able to get it closer with a cold process saponification, um, technique. So we, we went down that, that rabbit hole and I don't know, man, those are just like the decisions you have to make. And it's not saying one is right or wrong. Right. I think we'll, you know, we may run into kind of like bottleneck issues and production issues with this process. There's a reason why, you know, the Keels and the, you know, the L'Oreal's and the, the Procter and Gamble's go with, you know, the soap pellet process because mm. uh, you can just do it at such a higher capacity. Um, and what good is having a product if you can't produce it to sell it to people who want it, you know? So there's always, always trade-offs and you just got to figure out how to, to solve those problems. You know, it's just business constantly solving problems. Yeah. Yeah. Always trade-offs. And one of the trade-offs I wanted to ask you about, um, is sort of your philosophy on product launches, uh, as well as, you know, they're kind of all wrapped up in the same sort of idea, but launches as well as discounts versus limited edition runs possibly. Um, how would you say that you think about the beer brand strategy for, uh, launches as it relates to discounting versus limited edition versus some other strategy. Yeah, I, I, I kind of have a, uh, I, do, I don't want to discount our products. I don't want to put them on sale. I don't want to lower the price of our products. I think um, the reason is because um, if you're a person who who buys from us and then a week later you see the, the price is now lower, you, you feel like crap. Like you're like, oh man, I should have just waited. I would have saved 20 bucks or whatever it is. Hmm. And then you kind of train your your customers to always be waiting for the next sale. I, the same thing happened to me when I was buying a table from uh, West Elm and I, I bought it. And, uh, you know, like a week later, uh, I could have saved a hundred bucks. I'm like, man, it's just stupid. Like I just wasted a hundred bucks, yeah. exact same table. And I reached out to them. I'm like, can you at least like refund? And they're like, no, you have to return it and buy it again. And I'm like, God, man, you guys are like real assholes about this. And it's just that business model. And it's just kind of how it is. Uh, and I don't like that. Like, I, I feel like it doesn't matter when you become a beard brand customer. You should you should be able to, to feel confident knowing that you same, say, pay the same price as, as any other customer. I think that's hmm. more fair. It's more honest. And uh, I know it's frustrating for someone who wants a discount. They want a lower price, but dude, man, like, um, I don't know. Like they're, they're, I, I just have concerns for both people. And, uh, I don't think everyone thinks about that. They just think about like the new customer and they don't think about the ex existing customer. Um, so there's that. And then, um, we do reward people, uh, for buying multiple products. So we have bundles. 
Hmm. And our bundle prices are if lower than if you bought everything individually. Uh, in my mind, that's essentially like a new product you've created with a new price point. Um, so it's not necessarily like discounting or promoting it. Uh, but it's also something that's available to everyone at any time. So there's no, there's no kind of, uh, favoritism, I guess. The thing that we do have is with our product launches, we reward people who are on our email newsletter and not only that, who are active and engaged on our email newsletter, we will do uh, what we call a pre-launch. And in this pre-launch, you have two days to uh, buy the products. And uh, we we have a we call it a pre-launch price. So uh, the product's never been launched before. Um, at this pre-launch price, it's going to be lower than than when it goes public. So you're able to essentially buy it at a lower price. And then once it goes public, that's going to be the price pretty much forever. So mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, with exceptions of you know new product changes or new new permanent prices and things like that. But uh, generally speaking, that's um, that's how we look at our pricing and product launches. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because uh, I think that a lot of people in e-commerce obviously know sort of the, the struggle and the trade-off of uh, do I train my customers to sort of expect or to respond to a discount and maybe be uh, works sort of in the short run or you find creative ways if you're, you know, constantly launching new products, for example, then maybe that's a good strategy versus the sort of premium brands, never discounting. Uh, it really is a, a very strategic decision that's, um, philosophical to the core of the brand. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned, we do uh, a couple of different things. Like these are our combs. Um, uh, we use like, um, high end cellulose acetates out of Italy. And, uh, we, these acetates literally will, we won't even be able to buy them. So there are uh, true scarcity to them, mm. uh, wow. that will produce like a, a quarter's worth of this pattern and then once this pattern is gone like it's gone forget so you're you're not going to be able to get it we can't get it uh unless we just got a couple here in the office and then uh, so i think things like that and, and we'll kind of move to that direction now that our our product offering is is pretty much completely built out i've got a couple more ideas but you know really any kind of primary grooming routine uh you can you can do it with our current product offering so yeah. um We'll, we'll kind of focus on these limited edition special products as a way to like drum up excitement and you know, bring awareness to, or I don't know, uh, to sell products, right? You know, to, right. to, to, to have an excuse to talk to customers, give them something new, yeah. um, build up, you know, a, a new experience within the brand. Um, and customers like that too, you know, they, right. they, like if you just have the same products for 10 years, it's just like, ah, okay. Like, Here's my deodorant, but it's, it's fun to see something new or try something new or kind of break out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to uh, get back to today and sort of what your strategy is today and, and what's going on today, but I'd be remiss if I didn't go back just a little bit further and ask about Shark Tank because it's not every day oh, that yeah. you talk to someone who's been on Shark Tank. Um, could you walk me through that experience briefly and just sort of give like, you know, what was it like, the process, the results? Yeah, Shark Tank. So um, for those who don't know, we were on Shark Tank. Uh, Halloween of 2014 is when it aired. Uh, we ended up recording. I think we recorded in June of 2014. So there's a little bit of a lag between when you re- record and when it goes up on air. We were season six. Um, we, I, I mean, when I started with Beard Brand, it was such a novelty, like this idea of, of products for your beard. We 
um, everyone told me like, Hey, you should go on shark tank. You should go on shark. Tank. I'm like, well, it's easy. Yeah. Okay. Let's just go on shark tank, but it's not that easy. So, uh, you, you kind of have to, um, um, maybe have a little bit of a strategy. We, we submitted a application to them online and I know they had like in-person like casting calls as well, where you could wait in line. We never uh, wanted to do the whole wait in line thing because it's just like, I don't know. It just seemed like a, from what the, what I gathered, gathered from other people who'd been on show, like those generally end up going nowhere. So you're better off kind of having an in with one of the producers. Uh, and luckily like, uh, the producer saw our, our application. I think we applied in like September of 2013 and then they got back to me and March of 2014, and we, we started the refinement process of working on the pitch and like signing all the paperwork and they were making sure I wasn't going to sue them and, you know, uh, stuff like that. So, uh, went through all this and then you fly out to, uh, I think it was Culver city and, uh, you're there for like a week and they have you with all these other entrepreneurs. It was cool. I got to meet the, the Bomba socks guys, oh, wow. uh, Randy and Dave, and those guys are just like super, super dope guys. So we were like, they had like this beautiful like uh, presentation and I spent like, you know, cause we're bootstrapped to spend like 500 bucks on like a, a renting a table and <laughs> I'm like, you know, uh, milk cartons or whatever they're called. Yeah. And, uh, cause the, the whole thing is like, uh, only not only, but 80% of, of the people who pitch will end up on the show. So there's always like the chance you could go through all this work and energy and effort and it's all for naught. So mm. we didn't. We always knew we wanted to be focused on our customer and focus on the business. And this is one of those things where it's like, kind of like a low risk, high return kind of thing. Um, so we would do it if we had the opportunity, but we want to build our business around it. And fortunately for us, uh, our story was interesting enough to get on the show. We did a. We also had like kind of one of the they call them like at home packages where uh, you had like a little minute feature before we went up and and present uh had our presentation so that was a lot of fun and uh then as people i mean i'm going to give spoilers because if you haven't seen it now you have six years but uh, no (laughs) sharks made any offers yeah no sharks made any offers so there's no offers to to take or turn down but they were uh generally pretty positive and we had our our numbers and i had good data so i felt pretty confident going in the show that, that they couldn't really talk shit about me and they didn't you know they just didn't see the the opportunity for for bearded people uh which i think they they kind of missed the boat on if mm. you know but i'm i'm biased so right 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 because you saw the movement way before they did i i thought it was mm-hmm. interesting you you mentioned one thing on sort of like your recap uh blog post afterwards you said i still think i could have done a better job explaining what it means to be a beardsman and what this movement is about perhaps that would have gotten a shark to bite you know so like in hindsight do you think they would have change the way that you pitched it or the message or sort of explained it in a different way? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a few things I could have done, uh, better, you know, uh, uh, I have no regrets, right. I, I don't lose sleep over it. I, I think like in that time period, I was in the process of growing my hair long. Uh, I think I probably could have gone with like a, just a, a little more buttoned up hairstyle and, and beard trim to make it look more, mainstream like I, I feel like my look coming in was a little kind of like mega beard and like they they could only visualize this giant bearded type of person who's going to be in favor of it whereas if i was kind of looking a little bit more like i am now with the beard or your beard and a little more polished with my hairstyle 
uh, you know, like with a nice fade and side part, something looking real dapper. Uh, maybe I, I would have been able to kind of like show them like this is a more normal look rather than this like extreme giant bearded guy. Right. Um, so I think there could have been that, you know, like, and I don't know if this is just the ego protecting me or not, but the more you know about Shark Tank, they film like 11 uh, entrepreneur pitches a day. So they're just sitting there and they've got to like put on a performance. And I was like the the second to last of the day. So I think they were kind of just like done with the deals. They wanted to go home. They were just like, you know, if we make a negotiation, then we got to go on for another like 30 minutes. And then, you know, like my day's going to go long. And like, hmm. I think they're just like, ah, no, you know, on to the next one. Let's wrap up the day kind of thing. Wow. But you know, who knows, right? You know, you'd have to ask each each of them individually. Right. Yeah. Maybe I will one day and I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> It'd be interesting to like get the data on like when the, the entrepreneurs pitch and when the deals got done, you know, yeah. if like most of the deals got done in the morning or in the afternoon or like, because who knows, they could have just like committed to, you know, like a million dollars worth of investments leading up to me and they're not, they're feeling not very rich. Uh, right. Or if right. like leading up to that, you know, they had a whole bunch of deals fall through and, and they had a bunch of money. They might be more apt to, to do deals. You just, you never know those kind of things. And you're never going to be able to get that kind of data or insight. Um, maybe, maybe the, the producers of the show could, could probably get that, but I don't know from a data perspective, that would be interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting. And I think this will, uh, probably segue us into one of the other things that I really wanted to talk about. Uh, but I also read that the opportunity and sort of the, the feature led to some expansion in some retail accounts. Uh, so there's some sort of secondary effects, right? There's some secondary kind of benefits to going on the show. Uh, also secondary to the sales numbers and being featured on the show. Right. Um, but what happened with the retail accounts? Like what was, um, where were you actually placed or, or was that true? Well, I mean, any kind of publicity is generally pretty good publicity. So you just get exposure and you get people reaching out to you. I don't know. You know, this was six years ago, so I don't know specifically which retailers came to us from seeing us on the show and then wanting to carry our products. Um, but we've never had like a proactive account management process. So pretty much all the accounts that that are carrying us now, like reached out to us first. And we've been able to um, just kind of foster those relationships and, and grow them. Hmm. So um, we were in uh, we were in like Nordstrom, but I, I like this was so far this is so long ago. I don't yeah. know when we were in Nordstrom or, um, but I don't think we're in there anymore. They're, they're kind of, um, or at least with us, it wasn't, it wasn't like a lubricated, uh, relationship. So, uh, we were kind of built more to focus on direct consumer. Uh, that's always been our, our primary focus is trying to serve our customers directly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, I want to get to in a second with the barbershop, um, and I'm going to sort of spoil it and open that loop and we'll get back to it to close it. But, uh, you've been in target and you mentioned it earlier a little bit, but, um, how long have you been in target and sort of what was the process or the thought going into it that, that you would actually, uh, strike a deal with them? Yeah. So we launched in uh, target stores, February of 2018, which would have been, um, five years, uh, into our business. Uh, we started that relationship uh, June of, uh, I think it was June of 2017 where we got the PO and then we had to manufacture everything to get it ready for February. And then, um, so we actually started working with target originally, uh, with target online through like this, uh, nobody knows this, but 
through this sub brand we had called Aiken and Cash. Aiken was is hmm. was my dog's name, and, and Lindsay's dog's name was Cash. So we we're going to just spin off this new brand that they could sell because in those early days, um, if you're trying to build a, a premium brand, there's a little bit of um, association with your products and the the doors that they're in. So uh, we wanted to be in like the Nordstrom, the Neiman Marcus, the Saks Fifth Avenue, the Barneys. Like we wanted the the product to be regarded as like a premium product. And then um, we got to the point. It was like June. 2017 where you know we had attempted to build relationships with neiman marcus and nordstrom and barney's and they all kind of went sideways like they clearly weren't interested so we made the strategic decision that it was okay to to move into target and target fits our values it's a great brand uh they do carry a lot of uh, generally more premium products uh than you would see at other uh mass retailers and we figured, uh, you know, we've got customers there, so we got to try to to get in there. So we figured the time was right to do it. So um, Aiken and Cash never went anywhere. They they didn't do a lot of units online. So we told them, we're like, we're not going to mess around with online only. Like, if that's the case, we're just going to stick to beardbrand.com. Um, but they were open to, um, to, to carrying our products in all their stores. So we were able to launch all their stores with uh, eight, eight different SKUs. Uh, so it was wow. a nice, nice little launch for us, and um, yeah, yeah, Target's a great partner for us. Yeah, that's fascinating. That um, sort of a, a side brand, Aiken and Cash is a great name, by the way. I love it, but uh, that that uh, led to eventually getting Beard Brand into the stores, which Target is a huge retailer. That's where my wife and I shop mainly because my wife shops yeah. there. So I think it's an interesting kind of dynamic there. Um, but now it's been going on two years, right? Yeah, so we we launched uh, 2018, and so 2018, 19, 20, it'll be three years in oh, February, yeah. so wow. two and a half years. Yeah. Amazing, congrats. And so now, as of this recording, you've just launched a barbershop, which, yeah. who does that, right? Why, yeah, why, why do right, a barbershop? During a pandemic, right? <laughs> um, we had a vision for a barbershop. Again, like a lot of our vision, this is the thing that, for anyone out there who's like new to entrepreneurship, um, some things just take time. And it's like waiting for the opportunity to be the right time. So I've wanted to do a barbershop for three years. I remember talking to to this mastermind I had several years ago about the idea. And everyone's like, yeah, that's a great idea, great idea. I'm like, yeah, it is. But um, the, the problem with opening up a barbershop is if you don't have any barbers in there, you can't really have a barbershop. Right. So it was always this idea on, on – uh, kind of the back of our mind and ultimately we we had this kind of um uh barbershop or this barber go out on his own who we had filmed in the past and he was looking for a place to cut i'm like why don't you you cut literally in the place i'm sitting right now he we we, we bought a chair we got some mirrors and we let him come in here and cut and his thing was like this was always going to be a temporary thing he would cut here and then he was going to acquire or take over a barber school. And that was going to kind of be his, hmm. his thing. And a whole COVID hit and taking over a barber school just didn't seem like uh, the right time for him. So I'm like, well, why don't we just, this uh, building behind us, uh, we have the option to, to lease it. Why don't we just go lease that and, and you grab a couple of people and we'll, we'll build up a barbershop and, you know, I'll let you run it. I, I, I don't care about you know, like how you run your barber shop. Like I'm going to give you total freedom. I'm going to let you build it the way you want to build it. All I care about is 
you know, the, the thing that we give our customers is excellent cuts and, and you're an excellent barber. And, you know, like fortunately we can film this so we can subsidize it if we need to and uh, just be slow with it and be intentional with it and make sure we get the right barbers in there, the right kind of atmosphere. Um, and then, you know, let you enjoy the process rather than, you know, if, if you get into the whole barber space, you'll, you'll realize there's a lot of, there's two ways you can do it. You can uh, have barbers like rent the chair or you can have uh, barbers get a salary and you essentially cut it 50, 50. Um, but our core values, freedom, hunger, and trust, it makes sense for them to rent the chair. So we rent it at a very low price, uh, where they can make a, a lot of money and then they're in control of it. So they just got to grind and serve their customers and, and they'll get more customers and referrals from that. And, uh, to me, that just makes sense. So, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, we launched in, in August. So what month is it now? November. Uh, so it's been slow and steady, you know, we're up to three barbers. I'd like to get up to six barbers, hmm. maybe five barbers is, is kind of the goal. That's, that's where we really break even from, uh, you know, renting the chair standpoint. Um, so we're a couple barbers away, but, but we'll get there. Yeah. That's fascinating. I love, um, so you mentioned sort of, uh, going horizontal, right. And sort of breaking up and now it's almost like you're going a little bit vertical with, okay, well the experience of how do people interact with our brand, find our brand, uh, use the products, uh, is at home or within a barbershop setting, right. Where someone's actually being groomed by someone else. Um, what were the other thoughts that came into mind when you were starting a barbershop of like, this is how it integrates with beard brand. Yeah, we, uh, obviously if, if, if you do a little bit of research into barber, uh, beard brand, you'll realize we have a YouTube channel with 1.6 million subscribers that focuses primarily or focuses on barbershop cuts. Um, so that's a big part of our business is helping our audience understand, uh, the different hairstyles out there, the, the different ways to get the cut, how to communicate to your barber, what kind of style you want. Like a lot of our clients will, will save the video and then they'll take that video into their their local barber say, this is what I'm looking for. And then the barber can see like the full like 360 rather than a couple of photos or rather than some like Photoshopped up, like beautiful model with incredible hair. We've got guys in there who are thinning or bald who are like different ethnicities. Um, you know, good, like quote unquote, good haircuts, like your classic side part men's hairstyles. And then we got like the bad ones, like the mullets that, that will get a lot of people talking shit about, uh, but our cool hairstyles in my opinion. So we have like a, a nice variety in there, um, that, that, uh, we're able to build as a resource for our customers. And then we think about like, as a direct consumer business, you're really, if you want to be real, you're an e-commerce business. And, uh, if you're in the e-commerce space, you got to talk about the 500 pound gorilla in the room, which is Amazon. And what can Amazon do well? They can provide an incredible amount of selection and they can get it to you like really, really quickly. And generally they can be uh, a little, little less expensive. So we can't compete on those things. We can't compete on price. We can't compete on um, selection and we can't compete on speed. So how can we compete? Well, service, you know, our, if you ever order from us, our packaging is immaculate. It's going to be nothing like the junk you get from Amazon where it's this like weird bubble wrap thing and the shit's just thrown around in there. Ours is like, we have this tissue wrap, we have like uh, little freebies in there. We have, you know, like uh, uh, the, what are they called? They're, they're no longer styrofoam. They're like a corn infused popcorn, um, right. which you, you could eat if you're crazy. But uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think everyone knows that or not, but 
Yeah, so those no those idea. things are. Yeah, they're just going to treat the the packaging a little bit nicer, you know, as USPS or UPS or FedEx just throws it around. Hmm. And then uh, the the barbershop's another one. Like Amazon's never going to get into the barbering business. And uh, I do have a vision for, you know, like 5,000 barbershop locations. But again, like it's a pretty big vision. And right now there's other focuses within the business, but this is kind of like the proof of concept to show that we can uh, build experience for our customers that can help us get more. Um, really, what I want to do is just get more integrated into the Austin market and let Austin know that we're here for them and we're a local company and, um, you know, kind of be a steward for, for good looking men, you know, <laughs> well groomed men. Yeah, I love that. I was, I just saw a video yesterday of, um, um, Neville Medora, uh, who I follow mm. on Twitter and, you know, he's in the marketing space, great copywriter. Uh, I saw that he was getting a cut there, but I was, you know, I think it, it really is such a truly unique experience for someone to see that and then think like, oh man, I would love to go visit the, you know, beer brand, uh, barbershop. And I'm thinking for myself, like, oh, it'd be great to have, you know, one of the barbers there cut or do a video about me and it makes you feel special, right? It's a very unique experience for a customer. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we had Neville in here. We had uh, Joel Runyon, who runs uh, Impossible, which is another entrepreneur. And we just had Noah Kagan in uh, last weekend, who's another, uh, he was a Facebook employee number four, incredible marketer. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we had him getting a cool, cool, he did a pretty cool style as well, which for a dude who's pretty much bald, uh, you would wonder what you can do. That's cool. But it was, it was a pretty dope before and after. Hmm. Um, so Austin Bronner is another like e-commerce, uh, podcaster we have in here. Dennis, Dennis, uh, Heg, was it Heg's dad? Yeah. Do you know, know who I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Live recovery. He's coming town. He's coming town as well or coming to the, so I feel like, like the beard brand barbershops, almost like the entrepreneurs, uh, barbershop, which, uh, is for me is pretty cool as an entrepreneur. I just got to get Rogan in here, you know, yeah, Rogan there we go. and Ferris and <laughs> Ryan holiday, get the, uh, the other big names in here. Yeah. I love it. I want to get back to YouTube in a second. Cause I know that that's a very integral part to the production process and with the barbershop and everything. But uh, like you said, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the 800 pound gorilla, which is Amazon. And you've been pretty vocal about your decision your decision to no longer sell on Amazon. And I believe it was as of t- May of 2018. Um, what went into that decision besides, you know, I know you mentioned the things about, you know, we can't compete on X, Y, and Z fronts. Uh, but overall, like, were there any other components that went into that decision of, um, you know, we can no longer be here. This isn't right for our business. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, the reminder that I want to have for entrepreneurs out there, especially um, bootstrap entrepreneurs, but but really all 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 entrepreneurs and leadership, we're all dealing with scarce resources, right? Um, so if it's not money, it's time. And with these scarce resources you are going to, to, to be successful or not successful with how you decide to allocate your scarce resources. We um, recognize that, you know, like to a certain degree, we were, we kind of built a, an organization that grew to, to, into too many areas too quickly. We weren't focused enough on things we should. So uh, if you want to be successful on Amazon, it's, it's hard. People make it seem like, oh, you, you go on Amazon and you just make millions of dollars. That's not the case. I mean, maybe it was the case like mm. 10 years ago, you know, maybe in hindsight, I should have gotten onto Amazon a little bit earlier and pushed it a little bit harder and, 
I know there's people on Amazon selling similar products to us who are doing significantly more revenue than us. And, and we've just, you know, we're okay with that. Like I'm, I am competitive. I, I want to beat them, but you know, this was the path that we took. And, uh, so, so kind of knowing that you have scarce resources, we, we set a priority to serve our customers directly and that's what we wanted to do. And that's how that, when we looked at the, the, the talent we had in house, we're more talented at building a brand and telling a story and, and doing nice packaging and, and not being like built for, you know, low cost, low customer support. Like we're Mm. we're just not built that way. And we don't think that way, you know, like we want to, we want to interact with our customers. We want to get tickets. We want to answer them. We want to help them. We want to show them how much better beard brand is than Amazon. It's, it's so significantly much better. Um, just hit us like, but, uh, um, so knowing that, like that we're spread too thin, like the whole process actually started because we wanted to do Amazon better. We were selling on Amazon through a third party and we're like, let's bring this in house. Let's get like a data person who can manage our listing, who can like optimize our stuff, who can do all of the gray hat stuff for like, you know, all the things you need to do to be successful on Amazon and try to blow it up. Well, we kind of find that person, but in the process, we had already told our our third party we, we were not selling to them. We were going to sell online. And, and what we did is we stepped back and we looked at the data, and the data was showing that pulling off Amazon was incredibly beneficial to our company. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we ultimately realized is people would go to beardbrain.com, they would shop, uh, and then they would type in branded stuff on Amazon and then buy on Amazon. And then when they bought on Amazon, Amazon would say, okay, you want to buy this True Ranger beard oil? Well, here's some like Chinese made uh, brush and here's some like cheap ass like comb. And people would end up spending like your typical AOV for, for men's grooming products, but only one of those items would be beard brand and then the rest would be like whatever junk you get on Amazon. Hmm. Um, so we ended up realizing by cutting off Amazon, people could no longer buy our products on Amazon. So they just bought the tree ranger beard oil on beard brand. And then when they wanted their brush, then when they wanted their comb, they would add that to our cart. So we ended up getting the full order rather than half the order. And we weren't cannibalizing our sales. So, you know, for a brand that for a company that doesn't have a brand and they're only capturing like the, the sales on Amazon, they're not capturing actual, um, you know, like branded stuff, then yeah, Amazon's a great place, you know, like, but if you're actually building in a customer base off of Amazon, uh, you don't want to be on there because you're just cannibalizing your sales. Like yeah. places like Nike should get off of there. They should get all their products off because people are going to go to Nike.com. Like if, right. if, if given like, but you're giving them the choice of like essentially giving 11, 10% or 15% to Amazon. Why are you doing that? You don't have mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah, that's fascinating. And especially when you have these other assets uh, and you guys have done a fantastic job of content marketing with YouTube, with blogging, with the email list, uh, even with you know so all, of, all the different social profiles across uh, Instagram, Facebook, even your, your own personal Twitter as well. Uh, I'd love to hone in on, on YouTube here for a second because again, 1.6 million YouTube subscribers, not a small feat um, and very impressive. I actually went back and found the oldest published videos still on there. I don't know if it was actually the first one um, on the Beard Brand channel, which was eight years ago. And it was about you talking about the vision for 
beard brand. Um, yeah. It's curious, like how has the YouTube channel evolved over the years? And like, what do you think uh, has made it so successful today? Well, I mean, w one thing about that video, uh, I, you know, I'm mostly correct with that vision, which is kind of nice to, to, to have like what eight we're years. trying to build. And, yeah, yeah, eight years. So we haven't like fundamentally really changed on our vision. I think our execution uh, and our, our uh, kind of how we do it is has changed a little bit. Um, so I forgot the question though. <laughs> was how has your YouTube channel uh, evolved over the years? Like basically what is oh, your YouTube I've, channel? Yeah, it, it's completely changed. It's completely changed. Um, so we started off if uh, with no idea at all on how to do YouTube. Like we got onto YouTube, just kind of like half-assing it. Me and me and hmm. like kind of uh, the community founder, co-founder uh, John Reisinger, was this uh, beardless guy. And he's like, oh, yeah, we should be on YouTube. And I'm like, okay, I'll create an account, but I don't know what to talk about. He had some videos up there which are no longer published. It was just literally him sitting at a computer, like, clicking around. And it didn't didn't make any sense, so uh, I kind of pulled those off. But um, we ended up uh, – I did this one video on, like, how to, to grow and maintain a beard. And ended up – you know, at the time when we had, like, 300 subscribers, ended up getting, like, tens of thousands or – multiple thousands of views and we're like oh man you know like clearly there's people who are interested in this like beard grooming how-to stuff so i did like how to you know use mustache wax or how to do this and how to style your hair how to do you know so like it kind of became this how-to channel based on data so like the, the thing about our youtube channel is like we've always been flexible with the content to be able to understand what the people who are watching our content are interested in. And based on that, we're going to create more content. So like I had a, I had a video that kind of, I'm going to say go viral, but they would uh, outperform expectations. I wouldn't really call it like viral viral. Mm -hmm. So it was like a long, like four ways to wear long hair and uh, different buns. And so I'm like, okay, well people are looking into long hair content. So I do more long hair content. And then uh, I was in, in Europe with Carlos and we're like, hey, why don't we just film ourselves getting a haircut? Like kind of like that before and after. I had done one a little bit earlier, not successfully, um, but I always thought it was kind of interesting to, to show off how we get haircuts. And of course, Carlos is like the most incredibly attractive man <laughs> on the face of the planet. Uh, we got him in there, with the thumbnail and everyone friggin' clicked on his like video and watched it. And we're like, oh man, like apparently people like watching these barbershop videos. So we ended up doing like more and more barbershop videos. You know, fast forward to uh, June of 2017 and uh, the YouTube algorithm was favoring uh, daily content. So we ended up doing like three or four barbershop videos a week. And then we would pair that with that how-to grooming video content with multiple talent, me and Carlos and Greg. So we're doing daily content for a good a year and a half, two years, something like that. Hmm. And that really accelerated the growth of our channel. It's really hard to do. Not a lot of people could do it. And, and that kind of gave us an advantage. And then uh, the YouTube algorithm shifted. I think it was like September of last year to where they no longer f favored daily content. What they favored was content that really resonated with your subscriber base that had the potential of um, resonating with uh, the world as a whole. So we scaled back our content from daily content to like three, three videos a week. And then with the whole COVID and, and not like barbershops closing, we had to scale that back to two videos a week. So it kind of like, uh, hit us, uh, hard, but 
but in that process of, of creating content for your subscribers, we had to make the hard decision of um, splitting our channel uh, into two. So most of the people who are on the big channel were actually there for the barbershop content, even though that's not what we started with. And what we started with the how-to grooming, we spun off to a new channel hmm. called the Beard Brand Alliance. So the Beard Brand Alliance launched uh, September of uh, 2019. And that really got back to the roots of what the original Beard Brand channel was. And then we had the barbershop channel. So we're still essentially creating like daily content. We got like four videos a week on three or four videos a week on the Alliance and three or four videos a week on the barbershop channel. Uh, but it, now it's just on two, two channels. So hopefully people can just have better expectations for what they're looking for when they s subscribe to the channels. Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. What, what was it in particular that made you want to split it off into two different channels? I mean, I didn't want to, it was yeah. just, uh, you know, that YouTube, that you live and die by that YouTube algorithm, whatever it says to do, I'm going to do, you know, like hmm. I'm not too proud to, uh, to, um, shift or change things up. So, you know, in the early days, our content was only like four minutes long on average. YouTube's like make longer videos. So I'm like, okay, well, Content's now eight to 12 minutes long and they're like, good job. Here's more views. Yeah. You did what we wanted you to do. So, um, yeah, we just look at that data and, and see what's working, what's not working. And then you make those adjustments based on that. Hmm. Yeah. Right. It's not that you wanted to, it's more that you needed to, according to what YouTube is telling you with the signals and the data and sort of the strategy of what maybe other people were doing as well as I assume you did some research. Yeah, there's there's a few uh, really good uh, resources out there. Uh, Roberto Blake, there's um, Daryl Eves, there's Tim Schmoyer, and then there's a little monster company. Those are like the four biggest resources that I leaned on uh, over the years to kind of get insights into what's going on with the the algorithm and how you can, um, excuse me, modify your your thumbnails, your your titles, and your content to. Um, uh, work well with what YouTube's looking for. Yeah. What, what would you say is the difference between a video today that goes, uh, maybe not viral, right? But that outperforms, it has a lot of views, uh, between one that just sort of, um, maybe gets the average amount or maybe underperforms. Like, is it more the content itself? Are there certain tweaks with thumbnails or titles, descriptions? Um, what, what are the differences that you've seen? Yeah, we've had a few, um, on the Alliance channel, we had a couple of videos that um, Carlos' video, I think, has like 8 million views, which I would say is for us is, is definitely viral. And then uh, I had one uh, as well. So it's trying to create content that uh, you just can't get anywhere else. So uh, if you want to be viral, that has to be the case. Um, so with the Carlos one, he completely shaved his beard off for the first time and it was like 10 years or something like that. He had always had like a mustache or some kind of stubble or something like that. They had never like completely shaved everything off. And uh, not only that, we, we got his wife's reaction to it. So um, you're just, you're just not going to, the only way you can do that is to have a beard for eight years, you know, uh, right. like Jenna, his wife had never seen him without facial hair. Yeah. Um, so you get these like true authentic relationships and mine was kind of the same case. I had a beard for, or some kind of facial hair for eight years and I had never completely shaved off. So I did that and, and it was a similar thing. And we kind of learned like what worked on my video and then like brought that into, uh, to Carlos's video. So we know what's mm -hmm. going to hit, but like, how are you going to hit, make 
52 videos a year or, you know, hundred videos a year of like these remarkable transformations and reactions and, um, and also like building a customer base who's, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands or millions of people who recognize you as a spirited person to finally see you as well. So those are like, I couldn't even just grab like you and put you on the channel and be like, oh man, you've had this beard for eight years here, get your wife's reaction. It's not going to perform the same way right. as, as me doing it or Greg doing it or, or Carlos doing it. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I want to talk about blogging because you guys were very early on and you've published hundreds of pages of content. And uh, I assume that that gets you a decent amount of organic traffic and uh, just traffic in general from all different sources. Um, when and, and why did you start investing in, in blogging specifically? Yeah, again, uh, a lot of there's going to be an, an arching theme of this podcast. And it's what are the things that you can do well that Amazon can't do well? I think like mm. blogging about beard care and men's grooming is probably something we could do better than them if they even got into it. Uh, and then the other thing is like you have scarce resources. So in those early days, uh, what did I have? Did I have piles of cash? No. And like a hundred bucks, you know? So when you don't have piles of cash, what do you do? And you got to get the word out. You do social media, you do YouTube, you do Tumblr, you do blogging, uh, you just get out there. So that that was kind of like uh, more of a product of necessity. Uh, and then also like I've got patience, you know, like I, I enjoy the business. I enjoy the products. I enjoy being bearded. Like I enjoy... I'm not someone who's selling opportunities, trying to make money and is selling a product they don't care about. So I have the, the added benefit of being able to, to want to do this for 5, 10, 20, 30 years. Whereas most people, uh, they don't have that kind of, they, they want to get rich quick within a couple of months. And then when they realize you can't get rich quick in a couple of months, they move on to something else that they think they can get rich quick with. And then they end up never getting rich. You're right. Uh, mm-hmm. The majority of people. Um uh, so, you know, just got to do it. I mean, you know, it's hard work. No one's going to yeah. read those blog posts for, you know, a year. But right. you just got to. Yeah, uh, it's very true. The, do you guys do any paid advertising? I, I, I noticed that there are some ads on Google and I believe some Facebook retargeting, if I remember. But um, what what's the thought behind uh, the paid advertising that you do do? Yeah, uh, of course we do uh, paid advertising. We want to have like a diversified. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm your typical like paranoid uh, entrepreneur as well. Uh, me and my business partners were all a little paranoid, and like if you um, you can't build a house on like one pillar or something like that. I, I don't know. Pull up, pull up some common. Sand, yeah, uh, and, <laughs> right. And, and in there, but but basically like. You, you don't want to be over leveraged in one, one camp. And a lot of these companies will build on the backs of Facebook or Amazon as their sole source to, to business. And then when that, that pillar comes crumbling down or Facebook ads get so expensive that you can no longer profitably buy ads then your business is crushed. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So we don't want to go out of business is <laughs> the big thing. So uh, we have to diversify our strategy and, and, it comes with goods and bad, you know, like by being diversified, you're going to grow slower. Uh, kind of you're spreading yourself thin. You're not as focused. Um, whereas if maybe we we're more focused on Facebook and that's all we did and we just got really good at it and we cut all the distractions from content marketing, maybe we would be able to grow uh, faster. I know companies like Native, you know, like grew astronomically fast on Facebook. Um 
So, uh, you know, there's multiple ways to build a business, but I'm not building to sell. I'm not building to buy Ferraris and Lamborghinis and I got a roof over my head and food on the table and great business partners and a team that I love to be around. So this is the journey and I'm enjoying it. Um, and we will get better and we will grow, but it's okay if we don't grow uh, on a way that gets us on the cover of Inc. Magazine or Forbes or whatever. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of like the strategy. So we do paid and we do email, we do a lot of content marketing, we do social uh, and uh, SEO and SEM and all that stuff. Yeah, we, we try to do mm. not all of it. We try to, to, to be selective with what we do, but uh, uh, yeah. Selective, but still diversified. It's one of the sort of interesting dichotomies that I've sort of gleaned from our conversation is, you know, you want to be very philosophical about what you do invest in and there you sort of have these, uh, you know, like YouTube, for example, is sort of like the, the big one, right? But then you don't want to just rely on YouTube. You need to also diversify within the other channels, just like you said. So if one of the pillars come crumbling down metaphorically, then you still have something else to rely on. Yeah. One of, one of the things that we kind of remind ourselves of here is like, what do we do well at Beardbrain? Um, and are the things that we do well at Beardbrain, are we doing it the best that you could ever do it? Or is there opportunity to do it better? And if the answer is, uh, we're doing it the best we can, there's no room for improvement. We just need to continue doing what we're doing. And that's when we're like, okay, we need to bring in a new channel. Right. But if the answer is no, there's opportunity for us to improve the way that we're doing it. Then we need to, instead of like focusing our resources on, you know, like banner ads or tv or radio or podcasts or influencer marketing or affiliate we need to get better at what we're currently doing because there's it's going to be a lot easier for me to get better at youtube and see the gains from youtube than it is for me to completely learn how to do proper influencer marketing hmm. or affiliate marketing and all the things that i don't know that seem like oh yeah that's super easy and um, then when you get into it, you're like oh shoot yeah it's not as easy as i thought Um, so that's kind of been the mentality. There's a few things that we really focus on like content marketing, organic that we want to do better in house. And then, uh, email, email was a big thing for us getting really good at email. Um, and then, uh, we haven't fully, uh, gotten good at, at at paid, you know, paid social and and paid search. So we want to get better at that. And when we've put a lot of resources into it and we're continuing to get better, but, uh, there's still opportunity for us to, to grow that. Yeah. I love the the long-term mindset that you have and also that philosophy of, okay, well, if there's opportunity here, then we're going to keep investing. Uh, if there is an opportunity, then we're going to look somewhere new. Uh, and I would assume that, you know, with both of those in mind, having a long-term view, but also being willing, like you said, you don't have an ego. You're not going to, uh, you're not going to be so prideful that you're not going to go invest in something that things are going to not work out. Sometimes there's going to be mistakes or the thing's going to be things that maybe it's on the product side or the marketing side didn't turn out the way that you wanted to. Um, are there a couple of examples or things in mind that, that didn't work out that you could share? I mean, uh, going back, I got an ego, man, <laughs> <laughs> big old ego. That's probably like shot myself in the foot a few times with that ego, you know, like I, uh, in the early days on Facebook, we were getting like, um, you know, f- 8x return on ad spend or something ridiculous like that and then it slipped down to like 5x and like i'm giving up on facebook you know and in <laughs> hindsight it's like it's like now we can barely get 2x uh, return on ad spend for facebook so hmm. um you know a lot of that stems to me like not 
being a fan of Zuckerberg and the way he runs his business and the way Facebook runs and kind of the same thing with Amazon. Like, I don't like the way Bezos runs the business. So like we, we kind of do stupid things like that where we just don't align with certain companies and their vision and the way they run their business. And we don't want to be part of that. Um, I would love to, you know, break, break the chains away from Zuckerberg and quit writing checks to him. But, you know, right now it's kind of like that that beast that you got to play with, uh, or that person you got to dance with. Um, so I, I don't know where I went on the tangent. I don't think I answered your question at all, but no problem. Yeah. I, I was just curious, like if there are any, like, I don't know, things that you would call uh, a failure, quote unquote, you know, something. Oh, that- I mean, yeah. Right. So we pulled out of Facebook when it's that five X return on ad spend, it would have been better for us to double down and figure out how to, to continue to, to leverage that up and scale it and grow it. And, uh, we're always testing new things and a lot of them have been failures. We've, we, we always seem to dip our toes into influencer marketing or podcast marketing. And, uh, it's a lot harder to track and, and we're, we're not as, uh, inf- we haven't like built out the infrastructure to, to do it properly. So we always just kind of throw money around where they like, go, oh, we'll try it one time. And then it's like, oh, of course, of course it failed. Um, we haven't like fully committed to it. Um, mm. let's, let's stop doing that. Uh, you know, these onesies, twosies kind of things but i don't know like it's yeah. you got to have a lot of failures in business and then it's uh just have enough failures that um the failures are not going to put you out of business is kind of the key hmm. but have as many right. failures as you can because that's how you learn stay in the business and speaking of one of the things uh that have had some longevity is uh i've actually noticed for quite some time now that the homepage features a quiz kind of front and center oh, yeah. uh for the fa- for the past couple years i believe um Today, it's about scent confusion, which has been sort of the new value prop that you're really honing in on. I believe it used to be about something else, maybe related to sort of, you know, what kind of beard or grooming products that you needed. Um, but it was, you know, stuck out to me as something that not everyone does. Like, what was the thought behind the quiz and how has that worked for you? Yeah, we've been doing the quiz. Uh, we first started with uh, what kind of beardsman are you? Uh, and then we also had like a find your, your beard style or something like that. So we, we go back to like one of the ethoses at beard brand and how we do things differently is we, we try to think about how can we bring value to our customers rather than just seeing customers as like, you know, uh, money bags and we try to extract money from them. How I think a lot of people typically think of their customers. Whether or not they say it like that, but I, I think they're just like, how do we get more money from our customers? We don't right. think that way. So it's how do we bring value? And, and to me, it's like, well, a quiz is fun. It's something different, you know, like they entertain it. Um, gives them opportunity to like share content, share interesting. People like thinking about themselves, right? Nobody cares about Beard Brand. What they care about is what Beard Brand does for them and mm. how their life can improve. So like, that's what we want to do is like deliver things that, that kind of help them out. We, uh, we may be like testing around the, the homepage. We've got some concepts and ideas that after the holiday season, uh, we'll kind of play around with different things and, and try to get uh, less distraction. You know, I just want to be more, I feel like Tesla does a really good job of this is like, they take away a lot of options and just like, this is, you, you get like, you know, four different colors of car and then you get like this package or that package for the interior and that's it. Like it's. Um, I kind of like that, you know, like we only have, you know, like 12 different products. So like, why do we have this really convoluted navigation and how can Mm -hmm. we, you know, just simplify everything. So there's a couple of 
different home pages that we want to test and see how they convert. But um, quizzes are fun, you know, and it allows people to interact with the brand without, you know, having to buy things. So uh, I feel like that's a good, good value add to our customers to give. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, and it's cool hearing the story behind it because I've, I've taken the quiz before and I thought it was helpful and valuable. And that's sort of where I learned like your head shape and how that determines yeah. sort of maybe the beard shape you should go for. And now I'm excited to take the, uh, the scent confusion quiz and see how confused I am. But um, <laughs> starting to wrap up here a little bit, but it's a little bit of a hypothetical, but just wanted to see maybe your thoughts on sort of uh, the marketing opportunities out there today and how do you think about it. But if you had to start Braid brand over today and sort of start from scratch without your personal brand, without all the assets you have today, how would you go about building up, um, the marketing function as it were from scratch and get the first, you know, 10, hundred thousand customers? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I would still do content first would, would be my strategy. Um, I, whenever people ask me, that's how I consult them, you know, build a YouTube. I still think there's tons of opportunity on YouTube. The beauty of YouTube is it's really hard to do well, uh, which means that a lot of your competitors are not going to do it because it's so hard, hard to do and you have to have so much patience. So uh, I have that patience and I would be willing to do that. Um, you know, I, I think there's, you know, from a product standpoint, I'd probably do things differently. But from a marketing perspective, it's, you know, just get out there, spread your voice as much as possible. Um you know, I've, I've kind of moved away from Reddit. I was on Reddit a lot in the early days and, and moved to mm. Twitter. I don't know if like Twitter is, is like a good audience to, to build upon or not. Um, I haven't strategically really done it, but you know, maybe if you, I would stick to one platform, like whatever that one platform is, like you, you just do it and do it well and don't mess around with multiple platforms. So whether it's YouTube or Reddit or uh, Instagram or t- Twitter, like find the one that you can just really like, be balls deep into it and uh, uh, own it, you know, like just own it like crazy and just totally commit to it. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to sort of take a peek in your swipe file and hear about a couple of marketing examples that you're proud of, or you think that are remarkable. Um, and I know you had a few prepared, so could you walk me through just a couple of those examples uh, and what sticks out to you about them? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think uh, I showed you a couple of the the video ads that we did. So we we I alluded to it earlier in the talk about the the beard shave. So when I was shaving my beard off for the first time in in ten years or eight years something eight years I think, um, we decided to get three videos out of it. So one video for the Alliance Channel, one video for the Barbershop Channel, and one uh, advertisement. Hmm. And uh, we were able to essentially produce three different pieces of content and. Uh, all of them crushed it. So I think our our barbershop video got a half million views, something like that. And then the Alliance video ended up getting like uh, four or five million views, something like that. And then the ads, uh, I think we've been able to get, of course, we're buying those views, but we've been able to do it at like three million. And you can't buy ads if they're not profitable. So right. um, it's cool to to be able to see that uh, be profitable as well. And we're able to like focus more on the brand with that. You know, it's like you're telling a story and talking about why I'm shaving my beard off and um, you know, what that means from a brand perspective. And it's not like this typical, you know, like you see all those like um, typical advertisements uh, on YouTube, which are like gimmicky and they got things slide out and they're all funny, you know, and it's like, uh, we're, I feel like, 
we were able to be successful, staying true to our brand and not really like chasing uh, someone else's vision, uh, which is something that I'm always proud of. It's just trying to do things our own way. Um, so we had that ad and, um, I also had, uh, the other ad that I was pretty proud of. It was again, brand focus. And I was super proud of this one because it was like $10 of, um, material cost and like printed out photographs and then like about 200 bucks of, of my team's time. And, and of course all the equipment that we had, and then just like a, a 30 second script and it was just me holding up, you know, like a picture and then I drop the picture and then I drop a next, next picture. So it, it kept people engaged because they were curious to see what I looked like behind all these pictures. And I was able to tell the story of the brand and grooming and, and that one again, got a couple million views or a few million views. Um, and we were able to produce it, you know, like a super, super short, uh, super tiny budget, uh, in house. Um, so that was rewarding. And then, uh, and then our copywriter, like if, if you're not subscribed to our email newsletter, like the, the emails that we put out, just like every single one of them is like a, a home run. Like just Mike, our copywriter is probably the, the best copywriter uh, on the planet for a brand right now. I don't think you can beat the stuff he does. Everything he does is just like on point. So he's actually, he's written an advertisement as well that we'll be doing, uh, we'll be filming it. So he'll be in front of the camera too. And we'll see, hopefully it's a, again, like we, this one's going to be a little more witty. Uh, hopefully, uh, it hits with our customers, but we'll do it in house as well. And hopefully that will be one I can talk about in the next show. Yeah, I love that. The I just thought the um, you know the, both the, the beard shave ad and video, as well as the grooming story. It's funny because <clears throat> right before I even reached out to you, I had you know seen you posting about the scent confusion uh, stuff on Twitter, and so I was going to the beard brand website to kind of check it out. And then later, I was watching a YouTube video, and you know normally you don't really like pay attention to the ads that are playing because they're mostly kind of bogus or they're. Uh, they're, you're being targeted in some way, right? By some sort of guru or kid who wants to sell you something. Uh, but then this, you know, it was like a, a big black screen and then there's your face. And I was like, wait, I know that guy. Wait, oh, it's beer brand. This is awesome. And then I watched the full thing and I was just so amazed that uh, it was, it stood out. It was very different. Right. Um, and that's been another sort of recurring theme in our conversation. It's just been differentiation, finding what's novel and being able to do, uh, you know, really show sort of what, stands about stands out about beard brand within the marketing that you push out yeah and i think there's uh we think there's a lot more opportunity in youtube advertisement um so but to be successful on youtube advertising your your content just has to be absolutely balls phenomenal it's just gotta like be like something nobody's ever seen that's the only way you're going to have success or else you're just going to hemorrhage money and maybe like you're like a Liberty Mutual and you got all that money and you just put it in there, but we don't have all that money. So we have to have like ads that perform. And so you really have to have, if you want to be successful advertising on YouTube, you have to have content um, or ads that people really, really just want to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Hard, really hard. Like how do you get an ad that people want to watch? <laughs> it's definitely a challenge. It's uh, especially when that ad is playing before something else that people actually have shown intent exactly. that they want to watch right they've clicked on it so you are interrupting in a nice way something they want to watch and you have to your content has to be better than the content they want to watch is is really mm -hmm. what you want to do and you know you can do some long tail stuff where it is like more retargeted you know you search for like 
have a style of beard and here's like a beard styling video that's like really on point, then yeah, maybe you're going to do that. But then you have to produce a ton of long tail content that, that really kind of gets that. And those will probably be effective and they are effective, but your, your, your cap on that is super, super low. Yeah. Well, I'll list, I'll list all three of those examples uh, in the show notes because they're all awesome with the beard shave story, the grooming story, as well as the email that the copywriter wrote, uh, which this one I, th- I believe you sent to me was the, um, the May the 4th was that be the with May you. The fourth yeah. 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 Like which if you awesome. like puns, if you like puns, you'll, you'll love Mike's <laughs> writings. But if you're not yeah. a pun person, then maybe you won't like it. I love it. I think everyone should love it and respect it at least because uh, it's it's amazing copywriting. Well, to wrap up here, um, it's my last question, which I call my, my Guy Raz question. Um, so for all the things that you've shared and the audience that you've grown, the movement that you've built with Beard Brands, how much of that would you attribute to luck and how much would you attribute to sort of your heart, your own hard work and, and ethic? Yeah, I mean, I, everything's a, a little of both. You know, we were, we were early in the space. There's as you mentioned to me privately, like there's a lot of people who wanted to, to create men's grooming products. And, uh, you know, if we were late to the game, you know, would have we had the same success that we had? I always have the, the opinion that cream will always rise to the top. So even if you're late, if you believe you, you can do it in a way that's better than current marketplaces or current uh, providers in the marketplace, then you should still aim to do it. I, um, uh, we work really hard at beard brand. So the team I have, my partners, uh, uh, I would say a lot of it is attributed to the actions that we had. Uh, and then I think the, the, the potential that we have, uh, is kind of like the luck of, of being able to hit the right marketplace with the right message. But, um, you know, the execution of that all, all comes on us. And, um, so, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if there's a percentage. I would like to think that we're in control of, uh, you know, the, the majority of, of what we're doing. I think so. You guys have done a fantastic job executing um, the past eight years and uh, and many more to come. So, Eric, appreciate you sharing everything today and uh, coming on the show. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you've got a question or a takeaway you want to share from this episode, you can actually do so in the Swipe Files community. You can chat with guests of the podcast as well as a bunch of other top-notch marketers. Join a community that will help you do your best work and be prolific. Check it out at swipefiles.com membership. You can also get my free newsletter, Marketing Weekly. It's a curated digest of the best marketing content in your inbox every Sunday. And finally, check the show notes for all the important links. And if you could do me a quick favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you are and leave a review so more people like yourself can find the show and help me grow the podcast. And with that, I'll see you in the next one.